Welcome to Careers Unwrapped, where we delve into real-life career stories from successful people who've been through it all, the ups and the downs. We'll get their raw, honest, actionable advice and be the careers talk they wish they'd had when they started out. As someone who has had a varied career, from soldier to salesman, expedition leader to entrepreneur, he knows firsthand that your career doesn't always lead you where you expect it to. Here's your host, Mark Fawcett. So hello and welcome to Careers Unwrapped. I'm your host, Mark Fawcett, and with me today is Rich Waller. Now, Rich started his life, his working life as a genetic scientist and has now turned into a science-based career coach. So he's created the Careers Acceleration Project to help turn vanilla employers into premium products, into stars, to get pay rises, and what better place to share what he's learned than here on Careers Unwrapped. So. Rich is going to be talking about how he transformed his own career and also the lessons he's learned that can help others fulfill their own potential. So Rich, welcome to the show. Mark, thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. I think let's just dive straight into the early career, really. What is a genetic scientist and how did you become one? Yeah, so I guess with everybody's sort of schooling career, you get to that point where you got to make the decision of what do I want to be? And it's such a big question and a lot of pressure is put on that. And I think I definitely fell for that trap right in the beginning. And so I actually wanted to start out a career in doing medicine and becoming a surgeon one day. And by no means was I the smartest person in school, just, I guess, not really applying myself in the ways that I now am able to do later in my life. But that's sort of where the whole career in science began. wasn't able to get into med school straight away, but I landed up being able to do a degree in science and I managed to do a postgrad in science as well and I majored in genetics and so on. And that sort of opened the door into the pharmaceutical industry uh, back in South Africa, where I'm originally from. So genetic scientist is quite a loose term, but essentially where I landed up was working for a biotech company here in London. We manufactured a type of virus that was genetically modified to basically rectify diseases that people have in their genes. And that sort of brought me to the point, it opened up a whole new world for me. And where I was able to go with that, that's where the sort of question mark started showing up in my life. I want to do this for the rest of my life because this was something I thought I wanted to do. It was something that I was curious about in the beginning, but it led me to a point at crossroads, if you like. What do I want to do for the rest of my life? And is this really what I want to do in this type of industry? And what were the bits of it that made you think, no, that actually I want to move on to do something different? I spent many a night thinking about, is this really something I want to do? Because I was really passionate and really loved, I guess, the systems behind what science is basically essentially built upon. And... As much as I love the topic and the information and the innovation behind science and in genetics particularly, I think that the work that's involved was slightly misleading to what you sort of sold as the dream of when I become a doctor, everyone thinks it's such a prestigious job to hold. And when it actually comes down to it, you spend most and days in four concrete walls, you never see the sunshine and you're dealing with sick people all the time. And for some people, that's not actually what 
the dream is of being a doctor, but that's the reality of it. So I think the dream versus the reality is something that catches people out a lot. And it definitely caught me out in terms of going down the science route. So spending most of my time working in a lab, we hardly got to see the outside world. <laughs> and you're just in an environment that's quite sterile and you're dealing with very logically minded people. And I guess the industry is quite competitive in terms of wanting to be the creme of who gets to lead scientific projects and so on. And I think for me, it got to the point of, I don't think that's the kind of work that I enjoy doing. And that was the first sort of question I asked myself and answered for myself, which opened up a brand new world. But what were, on the flip side, what were the highs of it? What did you enjoy about it? And what did you take away from it? What did you learn? I think for me, the things I enjoyed most was learning about how, obviously there's the human body aspect, which I think to this day still really fascinates me. But if there's one thing I've taken away from doing science and doing a career in the type of medical science that I was focused in is how, and the lessons the body has to tell are so applicable to your life as well, the outside world, because what's going on and what's being run inside your body is the laws and the principles of nature that exist around you. And that extends into your career, your relationships, the way you live your life. And I think um, being able to go to such a granular level inside the human body was lessons that you're able to then take out into the outside world. So that was probably one of the main ones. But I think the other thing was because the world of biotechs and science is quite startup um, focused, there's a real excitement of all this innovative technology, working with people in dynamic situations, trying to solve problems that nobody's ever attempted to try and solve. And that was really exciting. And I think there was a skill set and a mindset that came from that, which I really am grateful for when I look back. So a lot of career starters, people we speak to, we meet through careers on Brat, they enter one career route and then think, hang on, I want to do something different. So that's relatively common. But what was your process and what steps did you go through when it became clear you did want to try something different? I think with everybody who's probably reached that fork in the road, there's never been a defined method or a protocol or a strategy that comes off the top of your head and you know exactly, oh yes, this is what I need to do and this is where I want to go. I think it's a game of iteration. And it's a game of figuring out what you enjoy. And as many sort of notebook exercises that you could do, writing down what you enjoy, what your strengths are, like what interests you, that only gets you so far. Because what you really need to do, and this is, I think, what I was doing in the beginning, and then what I landed up doing that actually made the most, it gave me the best bang for my buck in terms of my time and focus and energy. And that was getting an idea by journaling about what I enjoy, what I love, what I read a lot about, and then taking that and then starting to do little side projects. So this was something that a mentor shared with me a couple of, well, quite a few years ago around starting a side project to A, explore your interests, and B, start building a skill set and building a pot of experience that you can then leverage to take into new avenues for your career. And I think that was probably the greatest inflection point for me with regards to that. So 
when you were doing the side projects and the journaling and gathering your thoughts together, how did you actually move from that to what became the career acceleration project? So how did you move from ideas to reality? So when I decided that I didn't want to actually be a scientist anymore and I wanted to explore a new world and find sort of my, what some authors like to call it, your zone of genius. And that's the area of your life where you can do things that most people look at you and go, wow, how the hell do they do that? That's like, it just comes so naturally to you. And it took a lot of exploration and it took, I'd say about, about two and a half years for me of just tinkering away and playing iterative games and exploring different projects and continuing that journaling to help clarify my thinking, I think is so important. But I got into the world of product management and that was sort of the first shift for me going away from being a scientist. And in that world of product management, I was exposing myself and learning so much about marketing and sales, and product design, and learning about sort of the core messaging behind branding, which was so important. And I think I realized, wow, we like to think about the world around us and how products exist and what you're going to spend your money on and why are you going to spend your money on these things? But you can inflect that back onto yourself. And that sort of sparked this whole idea of becoming a premium product. And that's one of the many lessons that I gained from the research that I was doing behind before I started this whole newsletter and career acceleration project. And I was speaking to leaders around the world, startup founders, CEOs at Fortune 500 companies and so on. And I just started to notice that one of the things that they did in their careers and what prompted them to going into the world of, I guess, starting their own business, and you can speak to this, is they began seeing themselves as a product, as a person, well, not so much a person anymore, but more as a product that provides value to the people around them and not so much a person, quote unquote, who has needs that needs their preferences fulfilled by a company that they then exchange their time for. And so providing value and setting yourself up as a strong product that companies look at and go, we need this. And that leads you down the path of becoming indispensable or a linchpin as marketing genius Seth Godin likes to phrase it. So that's fascinating, really consciously approaching how you develop yourself as a premium product is going to lead you to think clearly differently than you would have beforehand. Now, one of the questions actually sent into us by one of listeners at Career Style themselves was about the common secrets or insights or traits that you discovered in speaking to these world-class business leaders, CEOs, VPs, and others. What were the things that really started to come out that became common across many of them in developing themselves into premium products? So from what, what I could find and it's looking at your own personal experience and seeing what works around you in your own career. But I think there's three skills, which I call the three Vs, which are sort of fundamental to initiating yourself into becoming a premium product. And that is you're able to solve problems, you're able to communicate effectively, and you're able to lead not only yourself, but being influential to the people around you. And when you're able to crack the nut on those three skills, those three traits, that starts the process of turning you into somebody who becomes indispensable and a premium product. 
I saw an interview with Barack Obama when he was being asked about what he looks for in people he wants to hire and bring on board. And he used the expression, I think, somebody who gets it done. And I think that very much links to your first one of being a problem solver. But perhaps it's easy to say, be a problem solver. How can you be a better problem solver? How can you be an outstanding problem solver? Did you learn through this process how to become better and better and better at these three critical skills? I think problem solving, it's a skill that I think a lot of people put on a pedestal because there's a lot of information out there and so many different frameworks and so many different types of strategies that you can use to become a better problem solver. I mean, you look at companies like the big four consulting firms like McKinsey, PwC, Bain, and they've got their own sort of internal secret source to solving problems. But when I've taken a look at all of these methodologies and distilled it down, essentially what it is, well, the first step is exposing yourself to more uncomfortable situations, exposing yourself to a lot more uncertainty. And when you're able to do that for yourself, because it involves stepping out of your comfort zone and it involves exposing yourself to things that you aren't an expert in and you become an amateur. And I think that is a crucial step in becoming a master problem solver because you then begin to really build within yourself the courage to actually attempt solving problems. And I think that is something that holds people back a lot where you can dance around the problem, but you don't actually have the courage to tackle the problem head on. The second part to that is, I think, learning maybe one or two real core fundamental approaches to problem solving. And I think the number one approach is, what is the root cause? And I think when you can spend more of your time defining what the problem is, then you can spend a lot less time actually solving the problem. And I think Charlie Munger, who recently passed away, Warren Buffett's best mate, in one of the biggest hedge fund investment firms in the world, he said that what him and Warren do is they spend 90% of their time figuring out what the real problem is and they spend the remaining time actually sorting it out because it makes it that much more simpler and easier. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm always looking for people I want to come and work with me for people who can just get it done, who can solve the problem. And they tend to just rise and you see them more and you become incredibly trusting of them because if they say, look, I'll get it done, it sort of doesn't matter what the problem is. You just know that person's going to get it done. So what you say about exposing yourself to uncertainty, having an approach within there, and also if there is a problem, getting to the absolute nub of what is causing the problem, what impact is it having before you leap straight in to solving it. So I think you can build those skills, not just in the workplace. You can build them in all areas of your life. If you're a person who says, right, I'm going to actually solve this. I'm going to tackle it. And so I see that so strongly as something that would be important. The second area you mentioned was about being an effective communicator. Perhaps can you expand upon that a little bit? And again, how do you become better than you are already at that? I think communication is probably one of the most important skill that people can develop, not just in their careers, but in all avenues of their life. And the single simple answer to that is human beings connect with one another and we do that through communication. And business is people, careers are people focused, 
And so to get anything done, to get anywhere requires communicating your way to from point A to point B. And one of the things that I noticed in these interviews that I was doing with all of these top leaders is that essentially one of the main things that they did was they communicated their way to the top, as does any startup developing its market share, getting its product to market, having a successful product market fit. You're communicating the value to your potential customers in a way that makes them say, yes, that's what I need. And so there's so many different avenues for what communication can do for your life. And so one of the major, 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 major inflection points in my life was as a scientist and being surrounded by so many logically minded people who are so smart, but they lacked the ability to communicate effectively in delivering information in a concise, clear, simple manner that people are able to digest, first of all, and understand what you're actually saying. Because a lot of what happens in the world is people just talk at you and you're going, what the hell are they saying? I don't actually know what they're saying. And you sort of nod your head because you don't want to look like a fool or an amateur and like you don't belong. And so I noticed that happens a lot in for myself, especially in the beginning of my career, is I just would sit in these rooms with all these really smart people and that I'd just be going like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I have no clue what you're talking about. And so when you're able to communicate, I love one of the skills that I've been working really hard to develop is my copywriting skills. And what that involves is, is being able to distill really complex ideas, real complex messages, or even simple messages, but ensuring that you can get it across in the fewest number of words possible and in the most clear, concise manner as possible. So copywriting has been really, really, really fundamental and journaling, being able to write. And that's probably one of the skills I would recommend to every single person on this planet is whether it's for your career or whether it's for your own personal life. Journaling is one of the things that really helped free my mind from many of the traps that had been placed there from, I guess, everybody's developmental stages in life. And when you're able to journal, you're able to just essentially put your thoughts onto paper and you can start seeing where there's a lot of the fluff that you're talking and where the real sort of golden nuggets for what you actually need to share with people. And so this is something that when you listen to any of the great leaders of the world, Barack Obama, like we were speaking about earlier, many, many famous presidents, many famous CEOs and executives, when they speak, people listen because they speak in a way that makes people listen. And I think, as you say, this is definitely one of those skill areas that everybody can improve upon. You can write down what is it that you're bringing to the job interview before you can go. You can write down how am I going to sell myself? What is my story within this? And you can practice before that in speaking to people, whether you're asking for a pay rise, whether you're trying to get a job or whether you're a startup founder trying to gain funding. All of these communication skills are things you can improve. You can practice, you can get better and better and better. And they are critical, I would agree, for success. The third area you mentioned under the three critical ones was about leadership the ability to sort of lead and influence others. What really came out from all of your conversations with the chief executives and the founders around the world in terms of that area? I think this is probably an area that you'll most likely see on all social platforms, LinkedIn in particular, where this whole concept of leadership has now become 
a real hot topic and it has been for the last few years. And a lot of successful people can get to where they want to get to without actually being a decent leader. But what that does is it leaves a very sort of strong wake in your path that causes quite a lot of disruption around in terms of the relationships that you build with people, your popularity with people. And some of these people that I've spoken with, you could tell just in the conversation that we were having that the level of self-awareness, because I think that's the first and foremost point about being a leader, is your ability to be aware of yourself and the impact that you're having on the people around you, as well as being aware of the people around you and what they actually need to help them do their job more effectively. And that so much career advice is about focusing on yourself. And I think this is a point that you're able to, obviously you need to develop yourself and go for what you want, but there's a little bit of magic behind your ability to help those around you achieve what they're going after themselves, helping people become better at their jobs. Because what that does is that shows the people, the decision makers at the top of the chain who decide whether or not you get a pay rise or a promotion, that you're actually able to do not just your job, but you're able to do the job that's above your job. And that's, I guess, one of the key secrets behind being able to negotiate your way into a promotion or a pay rise is effectively proving that you're able to do the work above and beyond your role that allows you to do the role that's above yours. And so being a leader, being aware of yourself and how you manage yourself and how you treat yourself is an indication of how you're most likely going to treat other people. I remember reading, I think her name's Brianna Wiest. I think she writes a column for some very famous newspaper. And she mentioned something along the lines of a relationship you have with yourself is an extension of the relationship you have with others. And I just found that quite profound because it's so true because I've seen for myself how I'm quite hard on myself. I, quite, I drive myself really hard and I'm very critical thinking. And when I'm dealing with other people, I expect the same level of commitment and thinking from them as I would from myself. And I've had to really learn how to regulate that and be aware of myself because people don't think the way you think and they see the world in a different way to you. And so you need to be able to accommodate that into your own thinking and how you then, I guess, effectively guide things happening around you, whether it be projects, activities, tasks, relationships. And so I think leadership is definitely one of the core fundamentals behind what can make a real difference in your career. Yes. I know for myself, I have a, a sort of mini mantra in a way of always aiming for perfection, but knowing you'll never achieve it. And what it means is normally in any piece of work, I can see how it could have been better. And that's actually been very useful to me personally over time, but it also could make me a right pain to anybody else. And certainly if you're new and junior and starting on some work, the last thing you need is someone else pointing out it could have been better. So I've had to learn over time to have far greater empathy than I think I first had when I was given positions of leadership and responsibility. And now, so we have these three areas of problem solving, of communicating effectively and leading others. You also talk about building a personal brand and how perhaps with consideration or reference for those three areas, 
if you're starting out on your career, if you're in your late teens, early twenties, looking at your first job, how can you start building this personal brand that can make a difference for you? I think building a brand for yourself is something people, you only start doing it when you realize, and it's not that it's too late. It's just, you think to yourself, that's one of the things I probably would have started way, way sooner if I'd known it. So I was starting out my career again. I, I wish somebody had, would have told me what I'm about to say now. And many mentors have shared this with me over the years, especially when I've come to meet many, many sort of obstacles within a company, within a department and with managers and so on. And building a brand sounds quite fancy and it sounds like it can involve many, many things, but essentially the essence of what your brand is, how people perceive you. And when people think of you, what are the traits? What are the elements that pop into their mind? So for example, if we ask your listeners now, like just to do a quick thought experiment, when I say to you, when I mention Coca-Cola, their minds are probably flooding with images of people drinking Coke, being happy, having good times, having a refreshing drink on a hot day, even of the fizz on the tongue from all the carbon dioxide, all these different elements that are at play. But now when you ask somebody in your circle or in your career, your manager, the people you work with, when they mention your name, what comes to mind for them? And so I think one of the most important things, like you mentioned earlier, and this is something I write about as well, I remember seeing that thing, the interview with Barack Obama, he said, I hire people who get it done. And the most important places you can hold in somebody's mind is when a problem arises, they don't start thinking about solutions, they start thinking about you as the solution. You are going to be the person who's going to help them solve this problem. You're going to be the person who figures it out, who gets it done. And I think that's one of the cornerstones of building a personal brand for yourself in your career. Yeah, I think I've never thought of it that way. But right now, if I was to think of problems that might exist at work or outside of work, I could immediately start thinking of some names of people who I think they would get that done, they would help me or they would sort it completely. And it's probably useful therefore for people to start thinking about what is the perception that they want others to have of them and try and gain understanding of what they think the gap is perhaps between that perception. But if you are seen in life as the person who gets stuff done, that's always going to be helpful. I want to touch on one other thing if I can, Rich. Within the Career Acceleration Project, there's particular references to how to get a pay rise. And I've not often seen that written about. So from the work you've done, from the learning you've gained from that, what advice could you give to somebody who's maybe in their first, second job, who's thinking, I need, I want, I deserve a pay rise? How should they go about it? I mean, look, the world as it is at the moment with market conditions, the economy, inflation, I think everybody would love a pay rise. And especially at times like this is when companies are starting to tighten the purse and, you know, so it might be a bit of a more uphill battle at this current time. But if we're looking at the long game, which your career should always be a long game perspective, I don't want to call it a formula or a framework, but essentially there are some guiding principles that you can use to ensure that you are doing the right things that get you one, two, three, even four steps closer to securing that pay rise. And well, then one of them is, first of all, starting off with your manager and 
the person who is the effective decision maker of who's going to be able to sign off on, on this pay rise. And so the number one reason people get a pay rise is because they take on more responsibility. That's the simple start and end of it all. So if you take on more responsibility, the company is needing more of you and therefore is willing to pay you more. So working with your manager to essentially work out a six month plan, say, I want to take on more responsibility. You can frame that in a way where you are saying that you want to help, essentially help your manager make their life easier. That's one of the core things I see in most people's success stories of securing a pay rise is they basically made their manager's life easier. So plotting out six month plan with your manager of what responsibilities you can undertake, what are the results? What does success look like? If you can deliver on those things, you've got the leverage, which I think is most important in people's careers, especially when you're starting out. Building leverage for yourself in this manner is going to help immensely. And then the last step is deliver on that. Do everything you can. Get it done. Be the problem solver. Build that brand for yourself as the person who gets it done and deliver on what you've said that you will with your managers and the six month plan that you've worked on. And I've seen many, many people succeed at this. And I think for myself, securing a pay rise wasn't necessarily done in this exact framework because it was more of a career transition than a, a stepping up in my career, the company that I was at, or even within the same industry. But essentially what I did was I looked at some high value skills. I started a bunch of side projects to build my effectiveness in those skills and experience. And I was then able to share my results in my interviews and so on when I was speaking with these companies that I was looking to transition into this new industry. And when I was able to share the results, I think that's what it comes down to is sharing the results that you generate, people get sold. And that's when they say yes. Yeah. I once had, uh, she was a young woman at the time, Sarah, working for me. and she wanted to ask me for a pay rise and she wasn't sure how to do it. So she wrote an email to her father saying, dear dad, I want to ask Mark for a pay rise. Then I had to do it. I'm really nervous. Got any advice? I'm not sure what to do. She accidentally sent it to me. And so I got the dear dad email and in the end, she got a pay rise. And I do still wonder, was it just the smartest piece of mind game playing from her or just purely an email accident? But anyway. It got the conversation out of the open pretty quickly. Not necessarily a way I'd recommend for everybody to approach it. Rich, look, thank you so much. I found this both inspiring, interesting, and also incredibly practical as well. From what we covered off in the beginning about how to make those career direction changes and what you talked about in terms of side projects and exploration around skill sets and journaling and how that can help. And thinking about your own sort of zone of genius and expression, I'm going to try and find a way to use again in the future, but also in developing yourself as a premium product, those three particular areas, solving problems, communicating effectively and leading others with empathy. They're all three things I so see the value and I completely agree with, but they're also things that anybody can improve upon, can grow their skills and confidence in those areas and can make themselves more and more valuable in their job, in their role, in their career. And so advance become that premium product you're describing. And at the end there, touching upon 
how to get a pay rise. I think there are practical pieces that listeners could think about from today. So Rich, thank you so much for joining us today. Now, one of the final things, if I can ask, is we're always trying to pass on this baton of careers, advice, careers, experience, and career stories. And is there any other one person who you think we should get on the show who you think would be brilliant and others could learn from them? There's probably maybe one or two people I think that could be really, really insightful. I mean, by no means am I trying to plug my partner here, but she's had a pretty amazing career in terms of what she's done, where she's gone and where she is now. And she's worked all over the world, Australia, Europe and Switzerland and the UK now as well. And she's worked with so many different dynamic people. She's been hired, she's been fired and she's one step away from landing herself as a CFO, which in terms of her career is quite amazing in her sort of mid thirties. So she's probably somebody who could give really, really great advice. And she is the epitome. I remember when we actually met through work and she is the epitome of somebody who leads with empathy. She understands people. And one of her greatest, I guess, legacies that she's left behind where she's worked is she's helped so many people get pay rises. And so I think she might be one of the great minds to pick for that. And what's her name? Her name's Haley. And thank you, Rich. It's been really, really good having you on. For everybody else who's listening, do check out Rich's Career Acceleration Project. There's a lot of interesting content on their habits, traits, skills you can develop. It's well worth a read. Sign up for the newsletter. Rich, thank you very much. No, been a pleasure. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by We Are Futures. To find out more about We Are Futures and how we can introduce your brand, business or organization to the mass markets of tomorrow, visit www.wearefutures.com. Make sure to search for Careers Unwrapped in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Remember to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at We Are Futures, thanks for listening.